to that. Well, if you guys can turn to Proverbs chapter 30, we were going to have Pastor Cole sharing God's word with us today. He was going to be going through a teaching on adoring Jesus. I was really looking forward to that, but uh, he's been a little bit just under the weather, sniffling and a bit of coughing, so he didn't want to be here and uh, spreading anything around, so uh, decided to be better for him to stay home. And so uh, last minute, um, here I am. So we are going to take some time uh, and look at just an interesting chapter here in chapter 30 of Proverbs. And we're going to get back into Colossians later in the new year. Next Sunday, we're going to have a, a New Year's message. And then the Sunday after that, January 9th, Pastor Randy and I are going to do a prophecy update together. So really looking forward to that. And there is just so much stuff to talk about. So it's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. And then after January 9th, uh, we'll plan to get back into Colossians and finish up uh, in our study there. If anybody needs a Bible this morning, just hold up your hand, keep it up high, and a Bible will get brought to you so you can follow along with us. And then Proverbs chapter 30. Um, I, I'm going to jump a, a bit here to verse 24 and share with you um, probably one of my most favorite verses, and I hope it is one of yours too. It says in verse 24 of Proverbs 30, there are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. Hallelujah for small things, right? Amen. Anybody with me here? No, come on. All right, we'll pray for you. But there are great things that come out of small things. And we are going to be looking at four things specifically that the author of this chapter here writes to share about the significance of something that is so small and yet is so important, lessons that we can learn from them. This passage is right up here with the story of Zacchaeus, <laughs> short man needing to climb a tree to see Jesus. It's right up there with Zechariah 4.10, for who is despised, the day is small things. This gives me great hope. I hope it'll give you great hope today. But what's interesting is, is much of Proverbs is written by Solomon, one of the the wisest man that's ever lived, a man known of great wisdom, and he was a wise man. But yet chapter 30 is not written by Solomon. It's written by an interesting fellow by the name of Agur. And it says in verse 1, if you want to jump back to verse 1 with me, Proverbs 30, verse 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jaca, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and you call, surely he says in verse 2, Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. So this is very interesting. I like this. Here's a book of wisdom, and yet here we see this author, Agur, of chapter 30 now saying, I am more stupid than any man. I think that's very interesting to hear that. And I think there is an element of wisdom to be found right in that statement alone because we should all be those that are walking in humility and not making more of ourselves than is needed or helpful and that can be a very difficult thing to do because we oftentimes like to kind of prop ourselves up boast in ourselves or our credentials or our you know the the things that we've done we want to kind of elevate ourselves and yet here now this man I think He's showing his wisdom by saying, man, I've got nothing. I am nobody. I am more stupid than any man. Anybody ever felt like that before? You don't have to raise your hand. Keep that to yourself. But 
I've been there, I'll tell you that much. I've been there myself and I have certainly felt that way, like what am I doing? Who am I? And that's a very healthy attitude to have because I think what we're seeing here is a person that is simply looking to the Lord, looking to God. And, and he says, I, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One, but I believe that's being said from a point of, I wanna know the Lord more. And that place of humility and confession of inability is a very good and right place for us to be in order to come and seek the Lord, knowing that we are nothing, but in the Lord, we have everything. First Corinthians 8, 2, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. It all comes from the Lord. Everything that we need, all wisdom comes from God. Proverbs 15, 33 says that the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. And that is a good place for us to be and taking that example from Agur to be walking in humility, walking with that understanding of I know nothing but I have the Lord and I wanna lean on the Lord. I wanna to look to the Lord and those are some things that we're gonna be looking at here today. Remember when Jesus with his disciples there at Caesarea Philippi asked that important question, who do men say that I am? And he made that more personal, who do you say that I am? And remember there in Matthew 16 verse 16, Peter responded correctly saying, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And that was right and Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's revealed it to you. I mean, this is a moment, a shining moment that Peter's been waiting his whole life for because he didn't get a whole lot of things right. But here's one thing that he got right. And Jesus even, you know, kind of expresses that saying, you're right, Peter. You got and, and Peter could have been doing, you know, jumping jacks, cartwheels all around the fellow disciples saying, aha, I got it, you didn't. Whoa, finally nailed it, you know. But Jesus says, listen, this isn't of you, Peter. This was not something that you gained just to your own ability or understanding. This is revealed to you from my Father who is in heaven. And so too for us, it's when we come into a right reverence and awe of God that we truly begin to know how great he is and how small we are and how we need to press in to him and with him because it's in him that we gain any kind of wisdom and understanding. It's when we recognize we don't have knowledge of the Holy One in and of ourselves like Agur is saying there in verse three that in and of ourselves, I don't have any knowledge of the Holy One but it's through him that he will again, reveal himself to me as I seek him and press in to him. Knowing that we are finite, but he is infinite. It's then that we begin to grow in that wisdom. And that humility becomes the soil by which we begin to grow in our understanding of God. Look at what Agar goes on to say in verse four. It says, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? Now that's interesting because Agar's re re receiving a little bit of revelation and understanding right now. In, in revealing what is his name, God's name, and what is his son's name. Right there in verse four, that's pretty significant and huge. Right here in Proverbs in the Old Testament, he's seeing and being 
revealed to him that God has a son who would come into this world as one of us, that which we have just celebrated here yesterday. Jesus coming to this world as a newborn babe, fully God yet fully man. And yet here's Agur now. I don't have knowledge of the Holy One and yet as he's pressing with the Lord, he's receiving this understanding and revelation. Who is ascended into heaven and who is descended, verse four? That's exactly what we saw last week when we talked about the incarnation here. Jesus coming, taking on human flesh, coming as one of us, fully revealing the, the, the fullness of God to us. He's descended from heaven. He's left that place of, uh, uh, of royalty and glory. He's left that place and descended to this earth, taking on flesh and revealing God to us. That's pretty significant and pretty huge. And Agur's making mention of that right here. And, and what he's revealing is that, you know, who can know? God is so great. And we don't have all the answers. And we'll never be able to figure God out entirely. And we need to be comfortable with that. It's often been said here that if God was small enough for us to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. And here's what we do know, that his word is dependable and reliable. I like that in verse five. Every word of God is pure, it says. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. This is something that we do know and can take confidence in and continue to grow in is that his word is pure, his word is true, his word is dependable, and we can find refuge and comfort and strength in him. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. Now, we're not gonna go through this whole chapter here. Tonight we're gonna jump back to verse 24 now, if you will, and, and we're gonna look at a few of these things that Agur wants to bring up as uh, a kind of revelation for us of things that are small that might seem kind of you know insignificant but yet we can learn a lot of valuable truths from them here and uh, it says again in verse 24 there are four things which are little on the earth but they are exceedingly wise now before we continue on to look at what these four things are it's important that we realize that the value of something does not depend upon its size all right i'm very grateful for that. The four things that we're going to look at today are very small. They're insignificant, yet we learn much from them. Just like how we see Jesus, you know, when he came to this world, he came in a very small package, right? He ascended into or descended into a manger as a tiny baby. We talked about it last week. He could have just skipped right over all of that. He could just come as a fully grown man. That would have been fine with me. But he came in such a small package, yet packed with the fullness of God. He was not to be overlooked. And he came as, as one of us. And then as he lived his life, what did he do? He goes and he just grabs 12 men to come and follow him. He says, 12 people. He could have, he could have just gathered an entire army. Said, we're going we're gonna to take care of business here. He just gathers 12 men. The church after the resurrection of Jesus, as the church was formed, it only numbered 120 people. After going through Jesus's whole ministry, there's now 120 people. It, it, some historians have calculated that in Israel at that time, the population was about 4 million people. So that meant 120 forming the church. It meant that there was one in 30,000 people at that time that were followers of Christ. It's not a lot. 
but God has never needed quantity to bring about quality. Great things come in small packages. And here's some of them. Look at verse 25. The ants are a people. Um, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. So starting with the ants right now. Ants, for instance, don't seem like a great force, right? You can squash them with your thumb. I mean, they are not great and powerful next to us, yet they're always storing things away and carrying great and large items so that they can be prepared for what's to come. So they'll have food in the winter months. And you think about the, the size of things that they can carry in relation to their own weight and mass. I mean, they can carry such a, a, a huge amount in comparison to them. It, it's incredible to, to witness that. But you see, what's happening, what Agur is bringing up, is that they're preparing their food in the summer so that they are ready for what is to come. And the lesson for us is important. It's that in everything that's done today can have eternal value for us. Are we living with that sort of perspective? Are we living just for the moment? Are we worried about looking ahead? Are we scared about what's to come? Or are we living a life in a way right now that's gonna matter in days to come? It's gonna be prepared for things to come. That's gonna be storing up eternal value. That's the great thing that we get to do as believers is to recognize that our lives just don't consist in the here and now. That our lives are meant to be lit for an eternal purpose. Romans 12, 11 says, not lagging in diligence, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's what, what ants are doing. They're not lagging in diligence. They're not just sitting back, you know, sipping on cocktails, letting everybody else do the work. They're diligent. They're, they're carrying out their purpose. And they're doing so with, with plans to come. So they're not, they're not left you know, um, un unprepared or taken by surprise in anything. And another thing with ants is that when you observe them, it, you don't see them really wearing out easily. Proverbs 6, 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Consider her ways. They just keep busy. They just keep moving. I've, I've yet to observe an ant, you know, in a cluster and they're all moving about and there's one ant over on the side of the wall just kind of huffing, leaning over like, whew, that's a lot of work, man. I just need to breathe right now. You, Charlie, you keep going, man, but I gotta just take a rest right now. I don't see that ever happening. Maybe it does, but I haven't witnessed it. They're busy. They're just going about their business. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Sometimes we can have that idea like, you know, what's the point? Is it really gonna, are, are things really gonna matter down the road? Is Jesus really gonna come back? Are we really gonna live for eternity? And, and sometimes people can really begin to question and wonder like, do I really need to be faithful and diligent today? And the answer is yes, because the Lord is coming back. And the Lord's going to reward those that have been faithful and diligent in serving him. And that matters today. The Lord sees all that's going on. And I want to live my life in a manner where it's counting 
for all of eternity, that's prepared for what is to come. Don't let yourself grow tired of God's work. How do we avoid that? Know that all you do for the Lord is paying dividends in heaven. And we may not see the full fruit of our labor this side of eternity, but we're not living for this side of eternity. We're, we're living for eternity. We're living to be with Jesus. That's something we can experience now and something we'll experience for all of eternity. I pray that we're faithful in these things and not letting circumstances and trials and difficulties get you down, but you keep moving. You keep faithful in the Lord. I love what, what Paul would say in Acts 20, verse 24. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here's Paul who's going through trial after trial. In fact, he's got people coming and telling him, Paul, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not gonna go well for you. And yet Paul's response was, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't dissuade me. It doesn't move me. Because I'm not living for my life. I'm not living for the comforts of today. I, I'm living so that I may just finish my race, so that I might just be faithful with what the Lord has given me. Because Paul recognized he's living with an eternal purpose, not a temporary purpose. To where he could say, none of these things move me. None of these things concern me or discourage me. Paul didn't let the little things disturb him or distract him. They weren't a big deal because he wasn't living for himself or for this life. He was living for the gospel for eternity. He didn't care what happened to him as long as there was eternal value to what he did. That's a great attitude and perspective to have. Secondly, look at verse 26. So we've seen the example of the ants. Now we see in verse 26, the rock badgers are a feeble folk that they make their homes in the crag. So the rock badgers are um, hyraxes, which you will, when you go to Israel, you'll see them in, in plenty. They're very cute animals and uh, they're kind of like a giant hamster. And, and yet, here's what the word says, they're very feeble, right? They're easy pickings, they're, they're easy prey for predators, but here's what they do. They recognize they need a source that goes beyond them for protection. So what do they do? They make their homes, it says, in the crags, in the rocks. And so you'll see them there and they'll be poking their heads out here and there, but they can quickly go in and hide in the rocks for safety and protection. I think that's so important because, <laughs> I don't know about you, but boy, I can feel pretty feeble at times. Anybody else associated with that? Yeah, okay. We can feel like, man, I'm... I am just lost on my own. I'm, I'm in, in trouble. But here's the great thing, is that we do not, nor does the Lord look to you to protect yourself, to make yourself strong. No, we, we turn to the Lord. We turn to Jesus, who is our rock. He's our rock of refuge, of safety, of strength, of protection. See, one of the big temptations for people that are seeking to you know, live for the Lord and honor him, one of the big temptations is to think that they need to 
you know, go about it on their own. They need to take care of things on their own. That can oftentimes be our mantras. I've got this. This is no problem. I'll take care of this. I'll manage this. And you see, what happens is when we are, are, are operating in a way where we think it's just us that's going to manage and keep moving ahead, we become easy pickings for the enemy. We've left our place of refuge. We've left that place of dependency upon God. And we become easy pickings for the enemy. Don't wait till God is your last resort. Make him your first retreat. Make him the, the source that you go to each and every day to say, Lord, it's only in you and through you that I'm going to be safe, that I'm going to find protection, that I will be strong for the day ahead. I love what David writes in Psalm 61, verse 1 to 3. He says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you've been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. David knew this to be true both practically and personally because he's had to depend on the Lord in that way. When he's felt the enemy breathing down his neck, coming against him, when, when he's seen the circumstances in his life seem to get so big, he's needed to know that the Lord is that that rock, that place of safety. And here's the great thing. Like what David shows when my heart is overwhelmed. See, it's so easy to get overwhelmed in this day that we live. There's so many pressures and stresses. And, and you see people more and more just anxious and, and just, you know, tired of all that's going on. And so often that happens when we begin to just get focused on our problems and the situations around us that we're going through. And what happens is we begin to focus on those problems. Those things begin to get magnified. And they become a lot bigger than they actually are in our own eyes. But what does David say? When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Just like the rock badger that says, I need a strength that goes beyond me. David says, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Take me to a place that's above me. And what happens is when we go to that rock that's higher than I, we get above our circumstances, our problems, and we get a much better perspective. We get a godly view of those things. And what happens when we get a godly view of those things, we begin to see those things are a lot smaller than I kind of thought they were. Those things seem so big when that was what my focus was. But as soon as I've run to the Lord and I've taken refuge in the rock, in my rock, Jesus Christ, suddenly see those things really aren't a big deal. He's got this. Those problems begin to fade, just like when you get higher and higher up, you begin to see the big picture much better. And you begin to see, man, God's at work here. God's gonna take me through this. That really isn't something I should be dwelling on, focusing on, or certainly being anxious about. I need to look to the Lord. That's what happens when we run to the rock that's higher than I. I love this song that Reverend Toplady wrote in that great hymn saying, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Are we hiding ourselves in the rock? Are we taking refuge in Jesus Christ? Are we turning to him to find that help and strength in time of need? So often we we fall prey to 
to worry and to fear and weakness because we haven't been abiding in Jesus our rock. We haven't been at home with the Lord. Yet as we remain in him, we remain in that place of strength to where we're not so easily overcome by the things that might come our way. Things that the Lord doesn't use to hurt us, but to ultimately strengthen us as we seek to lean on him, as we learn dependency upon Jesus. May he be that rock that you run to and find refuge and strength in today. Thirdly, the locusts, verse 27, the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. This is pretty amazing. Locusts, they don't have a definitive ruler over them shouting out orders. Here's what you need to do. And yet, they all advance in ranks. They all know their part. They all know what to do. They advance in cooperation with one another. The lesson for us is that we as the body of Christ need to move forward as one with Christ as our head. We need to be in cooperation with one another. If locusts can do it without a king, how much more should the church who has King Jesus over them, the head of the church leading us, how much more should the church be able to walk in unity and in cooperation with one another? And yet, what do we see today? We see great division emerging. We see opinions and, and, and views that just begin to push people away and isolate. And how we need to be careful because the enemy is an enemy that loves to divide. Divide and conquer is what he does. And we need to be careful that we're not allowing the enemy to come. It's not wrong to have different views, but let's keep our view unified on Jesus Christ. And let's remain in that unity together to where we can walk together as one as we follow our head, Jesus Christ, our King, who calls the shots. And know that each and every one of us has a part to play in the church and in the body of Christ to serve one another, to bless one another, to encourage and edify one another. We all have a part to play. But let us all simply be listening, hearing from, and following Jesus, our Lord and our King. And may we walk together in unity, not letting anything come in that would be divisive or begin to move people away or you know, step on anybody's toes in any way. Let us walk in that unity as we focus on Jesus Christ in all that we do. That's the, that's the lesson that we learn from these locusts. Lastly, verse 28, the spider skillfully grasps with its hands and it is in king's palaces. Now, spider is what's translated in the New King James Version. Some translations might have lizard written there. Anybody have lizard written in their Bibles? There you go, a lot of you. So whether we're talking about a spider or a lizard, um, the, the thing to know is this, that they're very small and they can grasp onto the wall and climb up. They can easily be swatted away, stomped on, gotten rid of, and yet here they are vulnerable open to, again, being squashed, and yet they still find themselves in some elite company there in king's palaces. The lesson for us is that though we're small and can ultimately be squashed, we have an audience with the king, with Jesus. We've been invited in. See, 
Oftentimes we can feel pretty small, insignificant, or unworthy, undeserving. I can't go to God, no. He doesn't want to hear from me right now, no way. Sometimes we can feel like, I can't, I can't approach the Lord. But yet, here's the reality. Yes, we're undeserving and unworthy. And yet, by His grace, He's invited us in to spend time in His presence. Just like a spider or a lizard can find themselves in king's palaces, so too we can find ourselves before our king. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, how we need to daily be in the presence of our Lord if we're gonna do anything for the Lord. Intimacy must always precede ministry. Service to the Lord always flows out of being in the presence of the Lord. May we be those that, again, don't leave this, don't let it be something that, you know, a, a, a trial or emergency that causes us to run to the Lord. May we daily take that time to say, I just want to be with the Lord. Not to fulfill a checklist of religious duty. Well, I got to read my Bible. I got to pray today. I better, I better make sure that happens. Not just to fulfill a checklist, but simply just to be with Jesus. And he's invited you in. He wants to spend time with you. This is the amazing thing. You know, when Jesus was calling the 12, he wasn't calling them to say, guys, I got a lot for you to do. I need extra help here, man. I need all hands on deck. I'm calling you because I got work for you to do. He wasn't calling them for what they would do, what they'd provide, or how they might serve Jesus. When he called them there in Mark chapter three, verse 13 and 14, it says simply that he called them that they might be with him. That's what it says. He called the disciples say, just be with me. Learn of me, spend time with me. That's amazing. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. Just to be with him. And he desires to be with you. Do you understand the privilege we have to be in the very presence of King Jesus, of our Lord? Man, we have every right to just be swatted away. No way, you don't, you don't deserve it. But it's by that grace of God, that very throne of grace that we obtain mercy to come and find help in time of need. So that's why the author says of Hebrews, come boldly. We need it. We need to just be with Jesus. See, the Lord's, again, not so concerned about doing things for him. He's not just trying to follow up with you to see if you've, you know, been obedient. He just wants to be with you. Do you have that heart and desire to just sit and be with Jesus? That should be the most important thing of our day. To say, I don't want to do anything unless I've just been in the presence of Jesus. Spend time with him, and you'll find yourself being used to the Lord in great ways for him. I, I love in Acts when the, the people are observing all that's been going on with the disciples. And in Acts 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Amen. That's what set those disciples apart. 
It wasn't because they were so educated. These were Galilean fishermen from Podunk town, you know, where people are going, man, I can tell who you are because of your accent, right? I mean, these were not trained men. These guys were fishermen. They were gruff. They were rough, but yet they did great things. And everybody knew it wasn't because they were educated and trained. It was simply because they'd been with Jesus. What a beautiful thing. And what a great privilege we have to be just like the disciples, to be able to sit with the living God and to come into the presence of the Lord and just learn of him, hear from him, share with him. That's what he's interested in, it's just relationship. How's your relationship been with Jesus? Man, as we come into a new year, there's always times to reflect on things that we would love to see change. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. They last a good couple hours or so. Um, but they're great times to just reflect on and say, you know, here are things that I want to put into perspective. Here are things that I really want to do well. And I pray that this is something that we say, I just want to take time and spend with Jesus. I want that to be a daily priority in my life. We have the privilege of being invited in. Not to perform a duty, but just to be with him as he longs to be with you. Even a spider, a lizard, finds themselves in king's palaces. I pray that you are finding yourselves in the presence of our king on a regular basis. All right? Let's pray. Let's stand. And we're going to take some time and just worship the Lord to close our service here today. Let this be a time to really... Seek him and press in with him here this morning. Lord, thank you for this time today just to look into your word. Thank you that you brought us all here safely. And for those that can watch online, just bless us here today, Lord. In whatever, wherever we are, Lord, that you would just come and meet with us as we desire to meet with you. Forgive us, Lord, when we've allowed ourselves to get out of focus and to have a, a wrong perspective on things. May these examples that we've looked at today help and encourage us. Again, just to set things right. And most importantly, just to take that time to spend with you and to be in your presence, Lord, because that is such a blessing and joy and privilege that we have. May we take advantage of that. May we do so right now. As we look to you, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's worship.